Hello and welcome to the latest Royal Roundup from Talk TV. So pop the kettle on. This is The Royal Tea. I'm Sarah Hewson. On the show this week, we'll be dissecting Prince Harry's shock court appearance. We'll have all the latest from the King and Queen Consort's first foreign state visit. And we'll find out how Prince Andrew could be following in the footsteps of the Duke of Sussex. Joining me to discuss all that and more are Royal commentator and Talk TV regular Afia Hagen, former Royal correspondent Michael Cole and host of Us Weekly's Royally Us podcast, Christine Ross. Hello to all of you. Now, the King and Queen Consort have been in Germany this week on the first state visit of their reign. They were welcomed with full ceremonial honours at the iconic Brandenburg Gate and honoured with a glittering banquet at which the King delivered a speech in both German and English. Now, Michael, you'll have been on many a trip uh, like this in your years covering the royal family. What do you make of the welcome that the couple received in Berlin, including that incredible sight of the, the two German fighter jets escorting them in? The Luftwaffe escorting the RAF plane in. This is very, very big stuff indeed. Uh, the Germans are rolling out the red carpet big time. The Queen made four the late Queen made four state visits to Germany, but it was 13 years after she came to the throne that she went there for the first time. And that was the reconciliation after the war, 1965. And I'll tell you how big a deal it was. The BBC at that time did a live outside broadcast from Germany. Those didn't happen very often. And it was a white tie affair, as you saw last night at the Bellevue Palace, formerly of the home of the Hohenzollern, the Prussian royal family. And there was the president, Frank Steinbrunner, and his wife, Elke, and both men wearing the Order of Merit of Germany. Now, quite interestingly, the, the president there is a very, very, very formidable figure. And one thing they don't tell you is that 10 years ago, he gave a kidney to his wife. She was suffering from renal failure. So they are bound together very, very strongly. As the prince said, the king said, we are as two countries. And he stressed that, and by speaking partly in German and partly in English, it, it, it emphasized that. I fear there's a, there's a poignancy about this visit. Mm -hmm. The last overseas visit by the queen, official visit by the late queen in 2015 was to Germany, mm -hmm. the first country to be visited by the new king is now Germany. Although, yeah. of course, it was meant to be France. Yes, it was meant to be France. And a real air of disappointment that France couldn't be included this time around. Um, obviously, those riots um, over the raising of the pension age have caused huge disruption in France. The French government felt that it wasn't a good time to have any kind of state visit. Obviously, they're under huge pressure. And it's thought that that state visit will probably be put back to the end of the summer. Uh, to the beginning of the summer, potentially. And yes, you know, it has gone really well. Uh, the King addressing the Parliament as well, uh, talking about uh, the close UK-German relationship, uh, standing shoulder, sho shoulder to shoulder with them uh, and with the Ukraine as well, talking about uh, Russia's unprovoked war in Ukraine and how both Germany uh, and the UK have worked with Ukraine, have stood for Ukraine, talking about sustainability as well. Uh, we know there was a visit to farms uh, they have been working on sustainability. Still clearly a passion project for 
then Prince Charles, now King Charles III. Uh, and yes, very well received. Lots of German and British flags out, lots of people lining the streets to see Paper them. crowns on their heads. Paper crowns, I should have got one for today. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it is significant that he didn't go to any of the countries in the realms of the Commonwealth, but I think there was definitely, um, definitely some significance with the last state visit being in Germany and then this first state visit of his reign being to France, well, Germany. And we have to talk about the, the state banquet, uh, Christine, and the Queen Consort with that dazzling tiara, which is pictured everywhere. This was really a, a very glittering debut for Queen Camilla, sort of her, this was her first tiara moment overseas. And it felt like a real world stage introduction to how she wants to be seen as the queen, clearly with a lot of diamonds involved. Um, she wore the gravel honeycomb tiara, which is a favorite of hers. It's not a new piece from the royal collection, but she did wear Queen Elizabeth II's almost iconic um, City of London fringe necklace paired with a beautiful Bruce Oldfield gown. I just, the glitter, the sparkle, you could not miss it. I mean, she just looked incredible. And on her left shoulder, the Royal Family Order. Tell us about that. We saw um, the Royal Family Order of Queen Elizabeth II, which is interesting. It does sort of confirm that what we suspected, that there are no King Charles III orders to be um, revealed just yet. We also saw uh, the Order of the Garter and the Order of Merit for the Republic of Germany. So, which she was presented with yes. ahead of that banquet. Yeah, so lots of signs that she is the queen and you know she is stepping into this role. And of course, the next sign of that will be when we see her officially crowned uh, come May the 6th. And it was interesting the way in which this, this tour was described, talking about shared history, shared difficulties, and looking ahead to the future. I think they were visiting as well a, a church that had been bombed by the Allied forces during World church. War II, yes. It's a memorial now. And uh, it, it's a very poignant thing. They've left that uh, hollowed out church as a symbol of, uh, you know, let's never go there again. That's the Second World War. When year zero happened and, and Berlin was uh, razed to the ground. Now, the late Queen's dresser and the RAF crew who flew her body back to London from Scotland have been honoured this week in the Demise Awards, which the King announced to recognise loyal service to his mother. Uh, Christine, what can you tell us about these honours? These are really special personal honours that the King is presenting to people who have been particularly close to Queen Elizabeth II really in the later years of her life and following her death. So we're seeing Angela Kelly, who was her very close confidant, very, very close friend being honored. We're also seeing um, the Queen's groom who took care of that beautiful fell pony, Emma. He's receiving very special honors. And along with that, the RAF um, flight crew that flew the coffin down to London and the men who carried her coffin are being honored. And I think that none of us can think of those people without being a bit emotional because they were so instrumental in honoring her at the, the final days of her of her reign. Yes, and of course you mentioned uh, her groom uh, there and that very powerful image of him with his head bowed and yeah. Emma. Her, the beautiful pony, pony with the Hermes yes. scarf. I mean, iconic and so special that he's being honored in such an important way. Those young guardsmen carrying that coffin. I mean, the queen was very slight, particularly when she died but that was a lead-lined coffin, and you could see them there, you could see the strain. I, we have a family connection with the, one of the officers who was there, but those boys who carried that, they deserved 
uh, their, their medal. It's quite I mean, the weight of responsibility yeah. quite literally yeah. Yeah. Uh, there on those young shoulders. Nothing had to go wrong there. But of course, you know, the king is asserting himself. Uh, Angela Kelly was very close to the queen. As you said, the late queen uh, couldn't have been closer. Part of HMS bubble, wasn't she, she was, during the coronavirus he, pandemic? She has now been given marching orders, <laughs> orders to quit her grace and favor home at, at Windsor Castle. The queen um, would never have done that. The king is asserting himself very strongly. Uh, the majestic fist is, is swinging and people are, are feeling the effect of it. He's very much in control. He waited 70 years to become, become king, um, but now he's there. All members of his family are, are, are knowing it, uh, including his brother Andrew and, uh, and other members too. Well, Harry, of course, we talked before about Frogmore Cottage yeah. and uh, the door to that being uh, firmly closed to the Sussexes. Uh, let's talk about the portrait of King Charles, the first portrait of Charles III, which has been released this week. Afia, what, what did you think? of it? Well, an unofficial portrait, uh, very beautiful nonetheless. I mean, the artist did it in under two weeks. I mean, we talked about uh, pressure. That is some pressure to get that done in that time. Uh, he's shown in a suit, so not in, you know, official royal robes, shown without a crown, um, said he was trying to show, you know, an, an intimate side to the king. And I think it's a very beautiful portrait. It's a very, I mean, it's a great likeness. It is a good it, it, yeah, it's a very it, good likeness. It, it, There's a, a slight melancholy likeness. look about him. His eyes almost look mm -hmm. slightly mm -hmm. watery. He was observed, wasn't he, during a reception at Buckingham Palace in order to paint this portrait? It's definitely him. Let's say yes. it's, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost photographic. Yeah. It's almost photographic. And I think the look in the eyes, it was almost puzzlement, sort of like, you know, not exactly why am I here, but almost that, a sort of a, a certain diffidence in a way. Well, which I think it's thinking, in many ways where are the him. canapes? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the bathroom? But, you know, but, but, but without doubt, it's a fantastically good advertisement for London tailoring uh, and German street haberdashery because he looks very good with his handkerchief yep. and all, all the rest of it. Now, earlier in the week, it was reported that Prince Andrew was in talks with a leading US author to write a tell-all autobiography. However, Andrew's close friends have since rubbished these claims. Is he finally receiving some good advice, Avia? Well, I don't, I don't, I just you don't know don't where to start. start. I do. just don't know where to start. I mean, I've said before that Prince Andrew really needs to read the room, right? And he needs to take better advice. And hopefully that is what's happened here. But just because friends have rubbished these claims, just because friends have said, oh no, we told him this is not a good idea doesn't mean that he's not going to do it. And I actually think that we should be on tender hooks, Sarah, you and I, with our fast reading eyes. We've done it before. We have, um, yeah. Because I, I genuinely think that he will do this. I think that this book probably will come out whether we like it or not, because I really do feel that there's an air of Prince Andrew also seeing the value of being able to tell your side of the story. You know, he tried to do that in that BBC car crash interview with Emily Maitlis. That was ill-advised. Um, you know, definitely if he's looking did not to do spare, for an example, uh, Christine, yes, it, it sold by the bucket load, but it hasn't done Harry any favours in terms of popularity, We've, has it? We've really seen a tremendous downward slope in his public image in the UK and the US, which I really think that was his target audience. So although he may have you know, sort of made a lot of money and sold a lot of books, 
he did tell his side of the story. It has not sort of refreshed his image in any way. It hasn't improved his image. It's damaged it quite significantly. Well, so I do think with these Prince Andrew rumors, sometimes they come out to test the waters and、mm, see how people、mm. will feel about that idea. And I think we can all agree that it's not a good idea. I, well, I think well, he'd have learned his lesson from the Newsnight interview. Absolutely. I mean, that would be on a par with that、uh, terrible interview in November. The nineteenth, two thousand nineteen. Which let's、uh, not forget, when he got to the end of it, he thought it had gone really well. He said that went rather <laughs> well. I mean, twelve hours before that went on the air, when there were just excerpts out, I went on breakfast television and said, "This is the worst possible thing he could possibly have done. It is absolutely disastrous." And were he now to write a, a biography, he'd have to answer all the questions. I mean, Spare has sold bucket loads. You've said that, but it's a disaster. We've all presumably had a duty to read it, but when he's time after time, he, Harry is admitting drug taking, smoking weed on the beach, hallucinatory drugs. He's talked about cocaine. These are very, very serious matters. That's a felony taking、uh, a Class A drug. And were he to be, you can confirm this. Were he to be convicted of that, he wouldn't get back into the United States. You cannot get a visa to go to the United States. If you are convicted drug felon, you cannot, and you couldn't get a green card or permanent residence there. So he's been absolutely ill-advised to write written this book. He may have made a lot of money out of it, but in every other way, it, it, it's a disaster. As would be Prince Andrew's decision to do that. And of course, Netflix currently making. Uh, the film about that Newsnight interview. So we're going well, to have are, more there of that to come. Well, there are two programs actually. Two programs going to happen. But you know, I I th- I did the first ever interview with with、uh, Prince Andrew,、uh, 1986, on the day he was engaged to to, to、uh, Sarah Ferguson, and that was I was in company with、uh, Anthony Carthew of ITN, and it was hailed as being the most candid, the most revealing, the most amusing royal interview ever done. And they were so popular. He was a war hero. He'd come back from the Falklands. He could have come back in a body bag, like 255 other British people did, and but he didn't. And, and he was, she was a breath of fresh air. And she was a she? breath of fresh air. And I went on all their early tours, and I actually liked them. He was far more approachable, far more friendly. For me to see what has happened now is very distressing because I liked Andrew, but he's his own worst enemy, and I can only think he doesn't. Re- He either doesn't get good advice, or he doesn't seem to listen doesn't to it. Doesn't take it. Prince Harry made a surprise appearance in court this week for his privacy case against the Daily Mail. This was just a preliminary hearing. He didn't actually need to be here.、Mm. Afia, how surprised were you to see him in court、mm. and walking in、yeah. through the front door of the Royal Courts of Justice? I mean, I was very surprised to see him there, but I think this shows how. Serious he is about making this his life's work. You know, he talked about it、uh, after the, the documentary came out on Netflix, and when Spear was out as well, that his life's work is to, you know, clean up the British media, as it were. And so this shows how serious he is about that. But yeah, definitely, it was unexpected to see him、uh, walking that press run and、um, up to court and and. You know, stayed for the proceedings because、um, Elton John and Sadie Frost had taken the side entrance, hadn't they? Yes, it was really interesting. I think the most interesting question I have is if had King Charles been on his state visit to France, would Harry have still made this appearance? Because there was always an understanding amongst the royals that you wouldn't 
outshine these large events. So Prince Harry's presence almost coinciding, sort of coinciding with this state visit to Germany is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, of course, he doesn't have control over the, the court date. But had that been day one of the, the King's tour to France, it would certainly have dominated the headlines. I, I think that was the point, though, because he wants to stress the importance of this. But we also heard, Michael, he, he pointed the finger at the royal family again and accused them of a, of a cover up because they didn't want him to open a can of worms. Yeah, and I think they're absolutely right there because it will be a can of worms uh, if he gets into court. Now, he probably believes that all he has to do is to go into court, uh, take the oath, uh, stand in the witness box and tell his, quotes truth. But it doesn't work like that. Anybody who's uh, done what I've done, spent many, many days in courtrooms reporting major trials, knows that under cross-examination, uh, new things come out. And uh, the Mail has said that it's going to defend vigorously. Uh, it it, it calls these uh, allegations against it outrageous smears, and it's denying them. And that can all change around. But you know, what makes me very sad is that it's undeniable, it's no exaggeration to say that there is a section of the press that Prince Harry absolutely hates. And it started very early on. Mallorca, guests of the King and Queen of Spain. Prince Charles and Diana were there with their two sons. And there was a photo call on the steps of the villa. The King invited the International Press Corps in. I was there. And after the pictures had been taken, Prince Harry, just before his third birthday in his T-shirt and his shorts, tottered forward and picked up two handfuls of shingle and went towards the Nikon choir and said, Go away, men's. Go away, men's. He wasn't three. And there were lots of pictures. Whenever he saw photographers, he stuck his tongue out. Now, when, when of course, his darling mother, who is much missed, was pursued to her death by paparazzi, he had good reason to hate those people who not only did that, but then took photographs of her in her death as she was dying. We didn't know that, but where she was being put in the, in the ambulance. Of course he does. But it doesn't quite work like that. And the royal family are right. If you open this can of worms, there's no knowing where he's going to go. He travelled five and a half thousand miles from California for this appearance of fear. And the king did end up with a, a couple of days gap in his diary mm -hmm. unexpectedly with the cancellation of his French visit. And yet, as far as we're aware, yeah. no meetings between Harry and his father or brother? No, no meetings with the family, um, which I think is a shame. Perhaps it's a missed opportunity or perhaps it's just too soon for all of them at the moment to be able to sit down and have what's going to be difficult conversations. But when does it happen then? Because we're, 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 what, five weeks from the coronation? Mm. Well, maybe there's, and, and I, I, I don't know, but maybe perhaps it's that Harry attends the, co the coronation and then the conversations happen after that. Maybe that's such a huge event where they almost can't speak because Charles will be <laughs> very, very busy uh, and Harry will be quite separated from the family. You know, he's not going to be in the coronation procession. He's not going to be, um, probably won't be on the balcony, any of that, but he'll be there. And hopefully that's the icebreaker and then conversations can happen after that. But I think perhaps it's maybe just too soon for all of them to be able to sit down in a room uh, and, and clear away those cobwebs. I think they need this icebreaker, perhaps that's coronation, and then they take it forward.
Well, that's the sensible way, <laughs> and that's what ordinary families would do. But it, is, it doesn't look as if it's going to be happening. Uh, uh, Prince William, uh, Prince of Wales, was up in Anmer Hall uh, with his family, Easter holidays and so on. I mean, in a normal family, there'd be a pub halfway between Sandringham and London where they could have met up as two brothers and talked this out together. I don't think that's happening. One of the worst sights you can ever see in the world is two brothers fighting, and that's what we're witnessing. It's interesting you, you make the comparisons with ordinary families because there was one of the lines that really stood out for me from Harry's witness statement that was read out in court where he said that there's a misconception that the family's in constant communication all the time. Mm. That's just not true. Well, we know that very clearly yeah. now, don't we? Prince Harry has said that the whole country is doomed if he loses his legal battle against associated newspapers. The Daily Mail's publisher has described the allegations as preposterous smears. And finally, the Queen Consort led the tributes to the entertainer Paul O'Grady, who died suddenly this week. Uh, an unlikely friendship, but a very real one, Christine. I think that this was such a, a beautiful friendship. You know, it was only in December that uh, the Queen Consort appeared on his television show. And I think it really goes to show that um, they had a very special relationship through their patronage or their support of Battersea Dogs and Cats Home. It was a friendship that stemmed from their love of animals, mm -hmm. uh, from dogs. And I think Camilla's statement that she put out on Twitter talked about the, the waggy-tailed laughter that they'd enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, poor Grady is, I mean, as close to national treasure as you mm -hmm. could possibly get. Um, you know, drag artist that was on mainstream TV, um, LGBTQ ally and activist who in his later years, you know, preferred animals to people and had this production company and made all these incredible shows around dogs. I mean, and dogs and cats, actually all animals. And, you know, he had pigs and cats and chickens and everything, you know, and such an incredible long lived career, always based around his passions, always based around advocacy, whether it was advocating for um, communities, whether I was talking about, um, you know, the cost of living crisis or whether it was advocating for animals and such a huge loss. I think he was an ambassador for Battersea Dogs Home and I think she, she is the president, but she certainly has two Jack Russell uh, dogs. Bluebell. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much. You're very well prepared. They were on but the front cover of Country Life magazine. Were, oh, were they? Okay. The well, girls in pearls. You, that's you, right. You obviously watched the, the, the posh property porn in there, so <laughs> I, I didn't see that. But I do know, I mean, it, uh, Jack Russell is a particularly favoured dog by English country women. And in that tradition, she is an English country woman, Camilla as the Queen was, the Queen was the squire of, uh, of Sandringham, never more happy than she was on her horse or going down to the sky. Well, I thought that as a fear talked about Paula Grady being happier with animals than people oh, sometimes. Yeah. You could have said that about the late my, Queen. My, my daughter used to see him with his little wire haired, it looks like a little Scottish terrier, I'm not quite sure what breed it is, walking on Hampstead Heath. So it wasn't just for the cameras, it wasn't just for the show. He was out there walking his dog every day. And, and he had said of the, the Queen consort that she was a great laugh. Uh, as well, and that she would greet him with a hug and a kiss think, every time they saw each other. You can imagine a, the laughs behind the scenes, can't you? I think she has an earthy sense of humour, <laughs> and of course he would have been very happy to provide her with a lot of good jokes that perhaps she uh, appreciated. <laughs> well, that is all we've got time for this week. My thanks to Afia, Michael and Christine. If you want to join in with the debate, make sure you leave a comment. We will be back next week with all of the latest on the royal family. We hope you can join us and we'll see you then. Thank you.